Welcome to the U.S. Physiatry Podcast. I'm Dr. Mike Lupinacci, Chief Medical Officer. And I'm Craig DiTomaso, the Director of Early Career Physician Development, and we will be your host. Physical medicine and rehabilitation is a dynamically evolving specialty with an increasingly challenging and sometimes tumultuous medical world. This podcast is designed to present you with an analysis of facts, expert opinions, and current challenges in the practice of physiatry. U.S. Physiatry is a large and diverse group, and our intent is to present an equally diverse spectrum of viewpoints. It is our perspective that we, as a specialty, must approach these issues with honesty and optimism to advocate to the patients we care for. Our intent is to partner with our colleagues to advance our specialty and to improve your work lives at all stages of your practice. If you have any further comments, questions, or concerns, please contact us at Mike Lupinacci at usphysiatry.com or Craig DiTomaso at usphysiatry.com. We welcome your feedback, questions, and comments, and thank you for listening. I've been instructed to start this session with the following. Each view expressed today is solely the view of the person expressing that view. You should not interpret what you hear today as the opinion or advice of U.S. physiatry, post-acute physicians, or any of their managers, officers, or other representatives. In addition, you should not interpret what you hear today as professional, medical, legal, business, or other advice for you in particular. If you are seeking that type of advice or opinion, you should speak directly with your own professional advisor. That person will know your particular facts and circumstances. We take very seriously the medical advice our professionals provide to our patients, and that advice is always focused exclusively on that individual patient, taking into account all the facts and circumstances facing that patient after a thorough examination. With those caveats, we can begin. Welcome, everyone. We are absolutely glad you are all at our U.S. Physiatry podcast. Today, we're going to do a very important topic on how to be a competent medical director in an inpatient rehabilitation hospital, uh, which is quite a task of growth and experience. Speaking of experience, we have three very experienced medical directors here. And our guest today, I'm really pleased to uh, introduce her, is Dr. Lisa Schabernau. She is the Chief Medical Officer of Encompass Health and Rehabilitation. And I've known Lisa since I finished residency, and we've had interactions for all those years. Um, and she has had the opportunity to see the breadth and scope and depth of competency and medical direction. So by way of introduction, um, Dr. Charbonneau was appointed Chief Medical Officer of Encompass Health in June 2015. As the Chief Medical Officer, she oversees the medical operations, including quality and patient care for the company, which is quite a large company now, 150 plus uh, inpatient rehab hospitals across the country. Their combined yearly discharge is over 200,000 patients. Prior to this role, she served as the company's VP of Medical Services. Uh, she had been medical director at New England Rehabilitation Hospital of Portland from 2001 to 2015. That was a joint venture of Maine Medical Center and Encompass Health. She was a, had been a staff physician there since 1992. And due to Lisa's uh, amazing qualities of competency, uh, interpersonal skills, emotional IQ, whatever, whatever you name, she's competent in. And uh, she uh, has been a presenter at a wide variety of topics. I reviewed her CV and it's just too long to go over, but they include clinical leadership, post-acute care, patient-centered data models, opioid reduction, and post-COVID care. And those topics don't do it justice. I reviewed her presentations and they're on an amazing variety of things uh, that affect the acute rehabilitation hospital settings. Um, just some just fantastic work in educating multiple layers of the healthcare community. Because of that, in 2021 and 22, she has been recognized as 
one of modern healthcare's 50 most influential clinical executives. How about that for a physiatrist, is what I say. Dr. Charbonneau received her osteopathic degree from New York Institute of Technology College of Osteopathic Medicine, a master's degree in natural sciences and epidemiology from the State University of New York at Buffalo, and a bachelor's degree from Cornell University. She completed her residency in PM&R at the Temple Moss Rehab Program in Philadelphia, and of course, her last year there, she was the chief resident. She's board certified in AAPM&R at an American board, and also the American Osteopathic Board of Rehabilitation Medicine. And most importantly, uh, she lives in coastal Maine, which I have this I ideal image in my mind, which is beyond real of that. And um, with her husband and her two rescue dogs, which are really the most important point of this whole podcast, uh, Daisy and Buster, I have two pictures of them in my phone. They're adorable rescue dogs. And I could have, if you told you didn't tell me which one was which, I could have guessed by how they look. <clears throat> and in her free time, she enjoys vegetarian cooking, long walks with her dogs, of course, for those of us who are dog lovers, reading, skiing, kayaking, and bicycling. And uh, I, we are so pleased to have you here, Lisa. Uh, uh, just a, a wealth of experience and having reviewed your bio and CV, and I haven't done that. Um, Thank you for everything you've done within, for and within especially and continue to do. Our podcast today is going to cover a number of topics within medical direction and competency in that skill. These will include various aspects of qualities that are best suited for medical directors, at least the ones that Elisa has observed in her experience, um, leading change, which is a quintessential imperative for anyone stepping into a medical leadership position. How does one acquire all those roles and responsibilities, which are numerous, to be a competent medical director? How to work with others, particularly the inpatient rehabilitation facility, other leaders that are shoulder to shoulder with you in our hospitals, and the importance of organizational behavior, and we'll talk about some real-time concepts about that. What does that mean? How does that work? Um, and also the process of recruiting and onboarding and mentoring uh, physiatrists who may be new to the role of leadership and certainly new to the role of medical director. There's a lot of uh, onboarding that needs to be done. How does a medical director build credibility for their rehab hospital and for themselves? Uh, addressing physician performance and behavior in hospitals because that's our responsibility as medical directors from the medical end, and maybe some concepts of burnout and moral injury in PM&R. It's a, a very hot topic these days. And in general, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss some leadership, leadership uh, concepts. So um, I'm joined today with my associate, Dr. Craig DiTomaso, who is the Director of Early Career Development for the uh, U.S. Physiatry, and I'm pleased to have him on board every day. Thanks, Mike. It's a pleasure. The, the things that we'll start with is um, some questions, and, and it's an open dialogue, so we're, you know, we're all colleagues here, and I'm, I don't think we all talk about this amongst ourselves that much, so this is really a good opportunity to get some insights that have been people doing it a long time. I, there's probably a total of 65, 70 years of <laughs> experience on this call, literally. So uh, Lisa, I'll, I'll start with, uh, so we can get our thinking caps on. Craig is going to open it up with some, uh, some questions about medical director qualities. Thanks, Mike. And thank you so much for joining us, Lisa. It's really a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Oh no, our pleasure, really. First question that I have for you is, you know, what do you see as the role or responsibilities of a typical inpatient rehab medical director, and what predicts who's going to do those things well? You know, that's such a, a great question, and I, when I, I think about um, my experience where I've seen some medical directors really flourish and some who have more uh, challenging experiences in our hospitals, and um, I think that 
the one thing that always comes to mind for me is looking for someone who has really good communication skills and uh, also an interest in beyond clinical care, how uh, the administration of a hospital runs. How, how does a hospital work? Um, what makes a hospital successful? And, um, and, and you need someone that is willing to put the time in to not just take care of their own patients, but uh, look to see how care is being delivered in the hospital on more of a macro perspective. Um, because as the medical director, you're really responsible for the clinical care and the outcomes in your hospital, um, and you need to be able to partner with the other leadership team of the hospital, the other administrators, and you need to have an interest in that. So I think um, you know you could be the best clinician and the best doctor that everybody loves but that doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be a great medical director. I think it's a very different skill set. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it, it, there are, um, you know, I can think of tons of physicians, and I'm sure you guys can too, that have been, uh, have had wonderful careers in clinical practice and just never really had that interest in uh, assuming more of an administrative role. So I think that's, that's where it where it all kind of what it comes down to. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a really great way to say it. So then picking back on that, a lot of uh, the physicians that I work with day in and day out are people who are rather early in their career. Um, some of them new attendings, a lot of them residents, and some even before that, early residency or even pre-medical uh, and pre-medical uh, students. Do you have any thoughts or suggestions on ways that people can kind of gain skills or become better prepared for the kind of things that a medical director might have to do? I think one of the most important things to do it early in your career, even as a student, is to observe leaders, clinical leaders uh, that you admire and see how they handle different situations. Uh, and just by that experience of watching and learning and asking questions and putting that, that little thought into your head of, hmm, maybe one day I would like to have a leadership role um, so that you can really start uh, thinking about these qualities that make a good leader and a good medical director uh, and, and take opportunities to put yourself out there whenever you can. So uh, volunteering for things. We have so many opportunities for uh, volunteers in our academy. Any kind of committee involvement will give you an idea of, hey, this is something that I really enjoy, or um, vice versa. It might, be some, it might be something that just shows you I'm really not interested in uh, going down that path. I'd rather just stay cl 100% clinical. Yeah, I think it's it's so interesting to see how some people can be so good at the bedside and really fantastic clinicians, but just not make it click once they get into their medical directorship. And sometimes, to be honest, the other the vice versa situation is true as well, right? So. Yes, I I uh, you know I always talk to our. Um, young medical directors about this because you can be a fantastic clinician, a doctor that everybody loves and admires, but you could really fall uh, on your face as a medical director if it's not something that um, appeals to you or you just don't have uh, kind of the people skills, I say, more than anything else that you need to be a really good medical director. Yeah, and I think, you know, one thing that's so great about working in physiatry is that people tend to get drawn to the field because they are people person and because they like engaging and interacting. Um, do you think, in your opinion, having looked at, at so many different medical directors in so many different settings, this encompasses such a big and growing company, is there something about physiatrists that you think makes them better medical directors in other fields? Or am I um, uh, too self-centered and focused on that to be a fair judge? Yes, I, I think that, you know, I would say that I'm probably equally biased as you. Um, I think one of the things with physiatry and rehab in general is that it's a very team-oriented specialty. 
And we're really used to being great communicators. And we communicate with other members of our team. We communicate with other specialist physicians when we're coordinating the care of a patient in rehab. Um, and that, that's true whether you're an inpatient or outpatient. And I, I think those skills of uh, feeling um, comfortable communicating to different team members and colleagues is a real bonus for a future medical director because usually when things go wrong, I find that it almost always comes down to a communication issue. Wow, that's really insightful. You know, I think there's just a lot of reasons that physiatrists do well or don't do well. What are other important things, Mike, from your perspective, uh, a physiatrist can take on as leaders in the as medical directors? Well, and that leads right to um, uh, another topic um, is <clears throat> the ability to lead change. I think all of us on this podcast know if you don't like change, you don't like to lead change and you don't like change, you're probably not going to like being a medical director. And I think all of us over the past three years um, can say with all certainty, there is nothing but change. So to me, uh, it's the ability to maintain neutrality in, in an environment that's constantly changing around you, but also to have a degree of emotional control and listen before you make your statement. Take in, take in what other people say and then, and then with wisdom, give your opinion. So that, that would be my thoughts on that. But that's a question for you, uh, um, Lisa, because you've seen nothing but change even in the Encompass system in, in the several years you've been medical uh, you know, CMO there. And I'm, I'm interested in your perspective because there's a lot of things that have happened in medicine, in Encompass, in our hospitals, all of our hospitals, across, in, any, um, in any organization. So... I think that's a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I'm sure you guys would agree with me that there's been no more challenging time to be practicing in healthcare than during the, the COVID pandemic. Uh, and, th and that was a, a great example, and frankly continues to be a great example, of a circumstance where leading change was really necessary. And what I saw was that medical directors that stood out and were able to lead their teams and kind of quell that initial panic early on were the most successful. So being a leader means that you can handle change and challenges in a way that brings your team along and reassures them that you have the situation under control uh, so that people can focus on doing their jobs. And, uh, and, and certainly there was early on with COVID-19, a lot of uncertainty and a lot of unknowns that were, that were scary. And uh, I think we all felt that. But if you're the leader in the hospital, it's your responsibility to make sure that you're providing the team with the necessary tools and reassurance that we're going to get through this together as a team uh, because otherwise there's just pandemonium and panic. And if you don't have that strong leader, people freak out <laughs> and don't want to come to work. And, um, you know, we did see that in, in some places. So, I think that um, being open-minded and also thinking outside the box. I mean, we really had to early on uh, figure out different ways of doing things. How are we going to take care of these patients with a brand new virus that we know so little about and ensure that our employees and our other patients um, are safe to the, to the best of our ability? And that really required uh, some amount of imagination and being able to 
look at what the situation was in your hospital and say, gee, you know, we can cohort these patients on this wing of the hospital and we can put a barrier uh, on, along this hallway, um, for example. So there, there were so many wonderful examples that I'm so proud of how our teams stepped up to deal with this uh, horrible uh, disease. Yeah, all great points, and we've all seen them firsthand. I think it's the first time as physiatric leaders and medical directors, we've had to lead into the unknown, right? It's the first time everything was unknown. And so I, I agree with all your points, which are excellent. And the one thing I, I came to understand over time is that when we as a team did something and it ended up not being right, right? Because we didn't know a lot. It wasn't maybe the best decision we could have made at that time. Um, I realized it, it wasn't about dealing with how we got that wrong and how could we have done it. It really was about uh, having people use that moment when you realized, oh, you could have done it this way to reset, right? So we had multiple re we had multiple resets Absolutely. in COVID, and rather than feeling defeated or or down about it, it was like, okay, let's just reset, and and we had. How many resets? A lot. But we made it through. Well, you know, if you think about, uh, I mean, I don't want to get too off topic, but even the CDC was experiencing yes. that, right? Yes. So I'm sure that they also looked back at uh, things and did their own root cause analysis, um, for lack of a better term, of, you know, how could we have handled that better? And um, how was our communication uh, maybe uh, not as good as it could have been uh, early on. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And and yeah. we were reliant on them, you know. And, and so I think also um, that was part of being a good leader is explaining. Uh, I, I, I mean, I, I remember spending hours a day on calls about COVID and listening to uh, national um, subject matter experts and then translating that into understandable education for non-clinicians uh, who um, needed to know how to manage, how, how are we going to, you know, what were the risks to the company and to our hospitals? And so that also is a, a great characteristic of a good leader is being able to take very complex uh, medical information and being able to explain it to your colleagues who are not clinical so that they, they can understand it and, and act upon it. <clears throat> Magnificent pearls. We learned a lot. <laughs> yes. So going back to getting uh, uh, newer medical directors started on the right, in the right, on the right track, in the right trajectory, um, like how, how, what are your and I know you have so much experience in this on educating new medical directors on, and on their multiple roles and responsibilities, right? We talked about that huge step from clinical to medical man, medical administration. And I know, um, uh, I believe Compass, Encompass does that extremely well um, and has every ability to get their you know, medical directors to, to learn, know and learn how to manage their roles and responsibilities. What are your What are your major thoughts on that? Having done that a lot. Well, I, I, you know, I think one of the unique advantages of Encompass Health is that we're so large, and we uh, we know how to run a hospital so that it succeeds, and we want our medical directors to come into the uh, hospital and learn and understand what uh, the issues are that they need to be aware of that maybe they, you know, when I was medical director, I learned a whole new set of acronyms that I never knew before. And then when I became chief medical officer, I, I learned even more acronyms that, uh, that I didn't know before. So what we do for new medical directors is we have um, a very structured onboarding course for them. We have a mentorship program. I personally speak to each new medical director when they come on board and 
um, and welcome them and kind of give them an overview of this big company that they're now a part of that they may have no idea uh, how it is organized. Um, we have a lot of education online for our medical directors. Um, as you know, we do a monthly call with all of our medical directors where we review different important topics that they need to know and um, issues with our electronic health record that they need to know about. Also, I think it's so important for the medical directors, and, and I tell this in, in that onboarding course, is make an appointment every week to sit down with your CEO and bring a pencil and pad of paper and take notes and ask questions and make sure that you understand what are the stresses that the CEO is dealing with so that you can learn kind of that, that side of um, hospital administration, things that we previously maybe don't have experience with. So a lot of it is certainly on the job learning, but also um, we are here to support our new medical directors. And we have a, a whole department, which I think is very unique in post-acute care. You know, when I left clinical practice and started the medical services department, which is still ongoing, it was a whole department designed for physician education and physician support. And uh, that's something that, um, you know, that, that we want our medical directors to, to feel supported. And even if they're in one of our smaller hospitals in the middle of nowhere, I want them to feel like they have a peer group that, uh, that are there to help them and support them. So that, that those are just uh, some of the things that I think are really important for new medical directors as well. <clears throat> yeah, that's a huge protective field that you're, you know, force field that you're giving them, right? You want them to have some knowledge so they can feel confident and protected that if they don't have knowledge, you, it is available. It is readily available. And I, I, I think people appreciate very much. I know people appreciate that. We do a similar thing within USP on the practice side. Um, so you had mentioned the, um, the, the regular, uh, touch bases with the CEO. And I think, you know, some of the struggles that new medical directors have is understanding where they stand as the medical director in the roles and responsibilities compared to the CEO and the CNO and the COO and the CIO. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's, uh, for us, it's like, you know, we, we have enough experience to know how to work with everyone well. And, but I'm interested to, to know what are your thoughts on how, how to help the, the newer medical directors uh, recognize the potential for misalignment or overlap in decision-making and their, where their authority is within the organization. So I want your general thoughts on that because that's a, a bit of a yeah. nuanced but complex topic. It is. And I think it's even more complicated because every hospital has a slightly different culture. Uh, so um, for a new medical director, well, one thing is, um, in addition to meeting with the CEO, I think it's very important as a new medical director to establish a good working relationship with the other clinical leader. So your chief nursing officer, your um, your director of therapy operations at your hospital, um, you know, the, these are basically your, your peers in terms of the leadership of the other clinical disciplines. And then uh, the, the marketing people, the people that are in charge of the liaisons that are going out into the field and evaluating patients for admission to the rehab hospital. You want to sit down with all these people and get to know them. Um, and make sure it's not just, you know, not just about work, but really getting to know these people, uh, and understanding what, what their lives are like. What is a day? What is it like a day in the life of a DTO, for example? Uh, because, the, you know, as the medical director, you're going to be kind of the bridge between the medical staff and the administrative staff and all those other clinicians. And so, you really need to understand and have a good working relationship with those other leaders as well. 
and uh, and be able to kind of on both on both sides of the of the you know of the aisle uh, kind of be a little bit nonpartisan because you want to also advocate for your other your fellow physicians and your you know your medical staff when necessary and explain to the other administrative staff what's going on with the other physicians as well so. It's really, um, you know, I think as, as we've said before, it's really a team effort and physiatrists are so team oriented um, and really ideal uh, physicians to take on this role. Yeah, I, I like the concept of nonpartisan in this in this particular <laughs> domain, um, because I think that's a learned skill. I mean, for some people, it's natural, but I think for medical directors, it's a learned skill um, like um, the the aspect of, and I've had this discussion with some of our medical directors over intermittently is, you know, as you mentioned, approach the know the people, approach them, what and recognize what are their what what are their hard areas, what do they need help with, what would help them. Mm -hmm. That's so important for the CEO for sure, and it's not mm -hmm. like you go in the room and say, what can I help you with. It's a matter of intuiting. Is their strengths here? Maybe they don't have enough experience in. Where can I help fill the gap, and how can I help? And that's with every team member, really. And right. And especially when there's a turnover in like the, the director of quality, you know, because there's always going to be turnover. But those are continual. It's a continual process of re reopening relationships and and understanding what they do well, what they need help with. It's a little bit different in each individual, uh, uh, certainly when there's uh, new people in turnover. That's the hard part. I just made it sound easy. It's not easy. It's just the skill to know that you have to do that. Right. And I think one of the, one of the other ways that uh, would be helpful for a new medical director is to, you know, to, to offer to, to give a talk to the therapist uh, or to offer to come to a, a team meeting of the liaisons and talk about, um, you know, what what information are physicians looking for when they look at a pre-admission screen, um, or to go to acute transfer meetings and uh, and talk about what was going on with the patients, uh, so that the more experience and the more you talk to these people about the other things that are not just uh, hands-on patient care over time, you will just absorb and learn so much. And it's really a, a wonderful opportunity um, and a, a great career uh, for a physiatrist. I mean, I, I, I loved it. And since you're still doing it, I'm sure you love it too. But I do. It's, I do. Um, it's, it's a wonderful career. And, you know, the other thing I tell uh, our new medical directors is, you know, when you drive into the parking lot of your hospital and, and look at the hospital, you should have some sense of pride and ownership that you are contributing to helping so many people get excellent rehabilitative care. And that's part of your responsibility. And that's just a wonderful thing to do for your community. Yeah. And that's an outstanding point. Um, when I think of our musculoskeletal colleagues, they all love what they do, which is great. And, uh, but what I've realized and what you just said, and I'll, I'll just distill it, you, as medical directors, what you don't know when you start, but you do know when you have a bit of experience, you realize you cause a ripple effect in 60 patients a day, every day for the duration of your career. And I and you and I have been along around long enough to know you'll meet, you know, the children and the nieces and nephews and the grandchildren and they'll remember you. It's like, how do you remember me? It was 30 years ago. I got an email from an attorney, a young guy that had a brain injury hit by a baseball. Just want to let me know he's in South Carolina. He's got a great practice. And thank you for what you did, you know, 30 years ago. So just to emphasize and motivate people to these are wonderful careers. And it's from a physician satisfaction perspective. So that's that's my two cents. I agree. And the other thing, and I and I tell um, young residents this as well, is, um, you know, I think contrary to to what many people think, 
you have a lot of flexibility in your life when you're working in inpatient rehabilitation and even as a medical director. So um, you're not kind of caged into that uh, outpatient schedule of every 20 minutes a patient and uh, you know, if you need to leave to go watch your kid play soccer or uh, something like that, you can do that and you can come back to the hospital a little later. So a lot of flexibility and also just um, the ability to affect so many people on more of a macro level by ensuring high quality care. And that's what I love about the job that I'm doing now, even though I'm, I'm no longer clinical, but I'm having a like you said, a ripple effect, uh, because we're, you know, we're working on all of these quality improvement initiatives and we have 153 hospitals right now and over 200,000 discharges a year. So that's a lot of people who need high quality rehabilitation. So one of the other uh, skills that I think is really important is uh, helping the hospital build credibility for the care, the great care that we do, right? We, we have to earn that credibility, but we, we do on the whole, very much on the whole. And so uh, what do the, the docs need to do as far as engaging themselves with other physicians in the community, um, knowing your referral sources, knowing your ER sources of help? Uh, so I'm looking kind of at that, understanding their roles and responsibilities in, in marketing. Some people call it branding, which it was really educating is what it is. So your thoughts on that? Yeah. And, you know, I think as physiatrists, we all know that there are a lot of people out there who have no idea what we do. And that also extends to other physicians, our colleagues. So getting out there as much as you can and explaining what rehabilitation is and what kind of patients we treat in rehabilitation and what you can offer the team. I think every opportunity that you can take for education, whether it's doing grand rounds at a hospital or even, you know, being on staff and, and if you have the ability to do consults or round with the trauma service, for example. I mean, I, I, I used to do that and I loved it. I, I learned a lot and they learned a lot. Um, so be the face of your hospital and take every opportunity that you can to kind of showcase physiatry and rehabilitation in general. Um, I think that, um, that we have so much knowledge and we shouldn't be afraid to share it. One of the things that we used to do at my hospital in Portland, I don't know if they still do this, but when a physician was applying for uh, staff privileges, I would um, require them to come in and, and take a tour of the hospital. And I mean, it's not their fault. It's just that they've never had that exposure or that experience. It's just amazing how many, you know, physicians, oncologists, um, nephrologists, pulmonologists would come in and they'd be like, wow, I had no idea. I had no idea that you took care of patients that were so sick. I had no idea that you took trach patients or that you, you know, you were able to do isolation precautions. It's just a learning experience. And then of course you take them to the gym and they're blown away. So, you know, take advantage of those opportunities to, um, to showcase what, what you do. So um, a couple other, um, a bit more challenging questions has to do with really help, helping your the physicians on your staff in in multiple mm -hmm. ways and and one um, on on rare occasion there might be a behavior or performance issue but it, that's very rare but it still happens over the course of a certainly over the course of a career a medical director career um, on the one hand and on the other hand a lot of our doctors you know it's in PMNR is a all specialties are more difficult than they've ever been to practice in. Let's just leave it at that. And so, uh, you know, we the issues with burnout and, and, you know, the quote, moral injury are, you know, surfacing to the top is something that people want to address and as real things, particularly since COVID kind of exacerbated all a lot of that as well. But just some of your general thoughts on those topics of physician um, performance and behavior and the whole issue with 
burnout? Because I think there's a lot of things, they're all kind of intertwined. Yeah, uh, that's a lot to unpack. I, I think that dealing with physician behavior is, uh, you know, there has to be some professional decorum in the hospital. Um, we do have uh, it written in our bylaws that, uh, you know, uh, there is um, uh, no, no room for physicians who are inappropriate in their dealings with our staff or uh, other physicians in the hospital. So uh, the best way to deal with that initially, in my opinion, is a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the doctor. You know, sometimes you don't know what people are going through in their private life. And sometimes that just opens a door and maybe people need to just step away for a little while, or maybe they didn't realize how they were coming across or, Maybe they get embarrassed and say, I'm really sorry, you're right, I shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't have acted that way. So that's, uh, I think, um, a situation that is very uncomfortable, right, for all of us yeah. um, to approach a colleague yeah. and have that conversation. And I would say it's something that I got more comfortable with as I got older. <laughs> so I think as you... Um, gain a better perspective on uh, professionalism and uh, your role as the medical director and kind of the, the leader of the physicians in the hospital, the medical staff, it's perfectly appropriate to sit down with another physician and say, hey, I heard this happen. Like, what you know, what's going on? Do we need to talk, even if it's in the parking lot or whatever? And then if, if that doesn't work, um, then you know, we're very fortunate at Encompass Health that we have, we have guidance. We have guidance from our legal team on how to handle, uh, you know, more serious um, instances of physician, uh, physicians being inappropriate. So there is, a, you know, there is help out there. And again, not something that you need to deal with alone. Uh, we can help you with that. I think in terms of burnout, and you're right, that has just become, and, and I was just as surprised as anyone to see the high levels of burnout of, among PM&R physicians um, in a recent study. Uh, I think we're somewhere in the top third. Um, and that's very, very concerning. And I, I think it's very important, number one, is to support physicians to take care of themselves. They need to take care of themselves and their family. That has to come first. It's, it's kind of like when you're in the airplane and they tell you before you put oxygen on the kid, uh, you know, put it on yourself first. Because if you're, you know, if you're struggling and you're not, you're not coping, you're not going to be able to, to do your job well. Um, so what I tell uh, our physicians is, you know, take time off, uh, have something else to do. Or, you know, if you can't get coverage, find little ways to take time off, meditate, go for a walk, find what it is that recharges your battery, right? So for me, it's, you know, I, I need to be outside. <laughs> I, I don't know what it is. I, I need to be outside to recharge my battery. It doesn't matter summer, winter, we don't really have spring in Maine, we call it mud season. But um, you know, get, find your thing that recharges your battery and make sure that you are being good to yourself. And the other thing, and I, you know, I tell this to myself also is, you know, family comes first. Um, if you need time off, if something's going on with your, your, you know, your family, your spouse, whatever, um, we need to be there to support each other in times of need. And we need to be able to build a team, a support team for each other so that when things happen and things do happen, that uh, people can get the time off that they need. Well, I did give you a lot to unpack and you did it. You, <laughs> Lisa, did a superb job at that. Superb. 
Thank you very much. And I bet you taking a walk with Daisy and Buster are your one of your stress busters. A stress buster. <laughs> it is. It is. Except for the one time that I was walking Buster, we first got him and uh, he pulled me down on the ice and I tore my ACL. That was maybe not a great stress reliever. Um, you know, wound up having ACL repair and a bilateral meniscectomy, but I still love him. You know, it's not his fault. He's 80, 80 pounds of muscle. Right, so. right, right. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for that whole very thoughtful answer, though. That was really, really great. That was really great. That was worth the whole podcast here, I'll tell you the truth. Um, Can I jump in? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, please. Sorry, Lisa, I got to get home and take care of the, the children, but... Um... So, Children are important. Number right. one. Number one. One of the ways that I unfortunately relieve stress is by eating a ton of pizza. And so it's been kind of an ongoing joke on this podcast. When we have guests on, we have to ask them where their favorite pizza place is. So if I come to visit you up in Maine, where would you tell me to go to get a good pie? Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I grew up in New York City. There is no good pizza in Maine. It's kind of like it's kind of like bagels. You know, they try, they're interesting, they're edible, just, you got to go down to Brooklyn. I'm sorry, Craig, five and a half hours from Portland, Maine. But I will tell you that we have delicious seafood and, of course, lobster in Maine. And we have, uh, we have become somewhat of a foodie destination, and I would very much welcome uh, both of you guys coming up to Portland and taking you out for a nice meal. Sounds good. We're, we're going to put that on the books. Yeah, thank you for We're going to put that on the books for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks, Craig. Thank you. Thanks, Craig. So um, let's, let's kind of uh, finish up a little bit. Um, so leadership is a, a complex task, and that's a, whole, that's a whole university degree, right? So we can't cover that now. But... Um, but I wanted to uh, do kind of a word and phrase association with you. And I, I'm going to give you a word or a short phrase. And it's all related to leadership. And um, I want you to tell me what word or short phrase comes uh, most immediately to your mind. And then at the end, if any of these concepts you want to comment a little bit more about, or if you don't, fine. If you do, chime in. So, all right, we're going to start. Negotiations. Diplomacy. Conflict management. Communication. Brand and, sell and selling yourself. Uh, Self-confidence. Mastering your organization. Learn and listen. Team building. Enjoy your work. All right, that's it. Do you have any particular one you want to go back to? I do. Well, I would, I, I would just uh, have to put in a little plug um, because I'm, I'm also a woman and I'm uh, participating in a women in leadership course uh, right now as an advisor for um, University of North Alabama. And so uh, as part of that, I'm actually taking the course and I'm learning a lot of interesting things about women leaders in particular. And so when, when we talk about negotiation and, uh, and how you uh, manage conflict, uh, there are a lot of differences between how uh, men and women handle those things. And so uh, I think I would stress uh, the importance of mentorship for um, women leaders in particular and, and finding a mentor who... Uh, can advise you and bounce ideas off of because, again, we're, we may uh, need some more because of our just natural tendency to be a little bit more uh, uh, agreeable or passive. Um, uh, we may need a little bit more um, help with uh, assertion and uh, and leadership in general as women. I I saw that on your CV and it piqued my interest. So I'm glad you described what that involved. Sounds amazing and necessary. Yeah. And, and necessary too. 
Yeah. And it's not, uh, you know, it's, it's not a physician, physician women leadership. This is just women from all different industries. So it's really very interesting. And, and, you know, we can learn a lot from each other. So it's been a great opportunity. Thank you for telling us about that. That that's an excellent way to uh, conclude this podcast. And Lisa, I wanted to thank you so much. It's I knew it would you would have so much depth of information and experience, and uh, be able to see things uh, at a, a more granular level because you were, you were a medical director for so long. And then also to have this very, uh, very high level view of things and combine them. You know, and our goal here is to really incentivize PMNR doctors to please consider um, not only inpatient care, but medical director leadership roles because they're so needed. There's right now, there's so many positions that are opening in so many different organizations. And, and as we, as we said before, your ability to affect change, healthcare change in a community as a medical director in a community, whether it's an academic affiliated hospital or a non-academic is immense and very, very satisfying over the course of a lifetime. So, uh, yeah. I would absolutely agree. And I will even be happy to put out there that if anyone is considering that I'd be happy to speak to them one-on-one, you know, if they like to, as you said, I have a lot of experience, which is just another way of saying, you know, you're old now, Lisa, (laughs) but I do, I have 30 years of experience and I'm very happy to, and actually really enjoy uh, speaking to anyone who might have an interest in, uh, in our field, uh, in inpatient rehab and physiatry in general. So um, you want to get, You want to give us your best contact? It's probably your email, right? Is that right? Yes, it's very easy. Lisa.Charbonneau at EncompassHealth.com. So if you can spell Charbonneau, (laughs) you're you're one up. You're on LinkedIn, so it's easy to look up. That's another thing. You can look me up on LinkedIn as well. Yeah. Well, Lisa, thanks again. Uh, You have a wonderful holiday season. And uh, say hi to uh, Daisy and Buster for me, because I, I, I'm sure they're <laughs> around you're around there somewhere. <laughs> they are. They're waiting for dinner. So thank you so Thanks much. Thanks again. Thanks for the opportunity. Our pleasure. <laughs>